welcome back to part two of my interview with King of the Jingle himself, Mr. Steve Carmen. What happens when somebody hears your unsolicited jingle and they decide to reappropriate it for their own purposes, maybe change a couple of notes so they don't get yep. caught in these uh, copyright infringements? What kind of recourse does the artist have to fight that? Well, if the artist was smart, they would have copywritten it. And if it got on the air and you heard it say you're driving along in the car, you say, hey, that's my song. But I'm saying, even regardless of your copyrights, if they take the spirit of the song or the general idea and they change a few notes enough to avoid copyright infringements, then what? Well, uh, it's not so much avoid copyright infringement. It's, that's, a, that's the basis of protecting what you have written, is the idea that you wrote something and you are prepared to protect it with copyright, and somebody just can't come along and do a couple of twists and turns and say it's original to them. You have to then be willing to go to court to fight, to hire a lawyer, which is one of the worst things that experience. I mean, don't the, don't the best lawyers in the room win? Well, you know, a little of my background that I had some legal experiences, and uh, I had one lawyer say to me that, you know what wins cases? Quality of counsel. And then we lost a big case. <laughs> and, and I said to him, you know what? I think you're right, but I don't think we're going to work together again. No, you know, it's the idea if you wrote something and you care enough about it, you copyright it. And, you, and then if you hear it, you have to then be willing to fight for it. And you might lose. Yeah. But it, this is your baby. This is your, you know, you can't go and, and draw a picture of my kid using three eyes or something, or two noses. You can't. And, this, and I have protected my creativity to the best of my ability according to the law. And now you, you're using it. Now if you hear it and it's being used by, uh, I don't know, Coca-Cola, some major advertiser, they, you know, they have been sold a bill of goods by the company that sold them the music. This is, we, pardon me, we're getting into a whole other subject here, but what's happened in the music business lately is the jingle composers are now required to carry insurance in case someone proves that their work that they sold to the advertising agency is not original, that they ripped off somebody. I see. But, the, you know, you always mention, uh, what if you have an idea for Pepsi-Cola? Uh, you have to find someone who you know who knows the uncle of the uh, owner of Pepsi-Cola or something like that and try to get it pushed up, up the line someplace. And it's very, very, very hard. Have you ever been involved in a campaign for a product as well as a jingle, or, or was it just the music? Well, I always wrote the music and lyrics for the, uh, for the jingle. It became the platform. We talked about this buzz for you was, was the... The son of when you say Budweiser, you've said it all. That ran for seven years, and then after that, they changed it to this buzz for you. And I had nothing to do with it, with the, the creation of the, the new this buzz for you campaign, except that I wrote the music, the melody that they used under it, and I got paid for it. And one year, it's a true story, Rick, one year, uh, I don't know, it was, I wrote it in 1970, I guess it's now 1985, uh, they wanted to change, they said they were going to make a new song for Budweiser. And part of their campaign was to keep the original This Buds For You lyric in there. And I did not own the lyric, but I owned the music that I wrote that had been on the air for 15 years. And one day I get a, I guess you call it a summons or a whatever from Anheuser-Busch, and they wanted to uh, have the court declare that their song, their new song, was an original piece of music, and I said it wasn't. And I hired a lawyer, 
I had to. I had no question of no choice in the matter. I had a lawyer. I had to hire a music uh, expert. What do they call them today? A musicologist. And I had a whole team working for me. And they had the best copyright lawyers you've ever heard of. And the best advertising lawyers, they, you know, when you see movies about courtrooms, our, our little table had three people at, myself, my attorney, and he had one assistant and maybe the musicologist. On their table, they had 15 people. They had, if you went boo, they had an answer why you don't own boo. We went to court and we, uh, we did it on an expedited basis. I remember, I think we started in July. We were in the courtroom in December and we had a five-day trial. And the judge, forgive me, I'm not being... Uh, anti-old people, but the judge then was 88 years old. An 88-year-old judge is going to make a decision based upon the difference between two notes in how this word's wording for the words this but for you is. And uh, and he also had, there was a young kid and sitting in the corner of the courtroom, and I always looked over, who is that kid? Well, that was the kid who was listening on behalf of this 88-year-old judge, and they ruled against me. They said, no, this is Anheuser-Busch. I was literally clobbered by, I was out-attorneyed. You know, there's an expression to scorch the earth. Well, they scorched our earth, but I had to protect my work. And I think I told you once before, I paid a legal fee then of $237,500. You never forget that number. Woo! 237 grand and $500. So we got 237, 500. And I paid my lawyers and I said what they wanted and I did it and I paid the musical expert. I think he got $1,000 a day and whatever, whatever. And I lost. And you know what? I remember every part of it and I will remember it for the rest of my life. But this is another great big lesson. For the composer, the people you're dealing with at this advertising agency, you mentioned something like Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, they, next year, they might not be there. These people are employees, and the lawyers who are working for Dunkin' Donuts, they, don't, they may not be there next year either. And whoever does this stuff may not be there. But you wrote the song, and it's your obligation to your talent. It's your obligation to your own effort is to protect it and to fight for it. And you know what? You don't win them all the time. And it's, I just told you the best example. With all this litigious stuff that went on, how do you keep from getting jaded about it all? <laughs> you know, there's a one, was a wonderful comedian named Professor Irwin Corey. I don't know if you know that name. He called himself the world's most famous authority, okay. something like that. And he died at 95 years old, and he was a little cranky-looking guy. But he wrote books about you know, whatever. And he had an expression, he says, and you asked me, you know, how do I keep from getting jaded? And he said the expression, suicide is the sincerest form of self-criticism. <laughs> wow. Well, right. I, yeah. <laughs> and he had one more, forgive me, that uh, without hate, revenge is nothing. <laughs> I see his point. Right? Yeah. No, but you know, Rex, seriously, and I know we're, uh, we're talking too long here, but... If you believe in what you've done and you put your effort into it and you don't treat it like, hey, this, everybody got stoned on Saturday night and uh, came up with this, uh, what, was the, what was the one they did a Broadway show about it too? Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants? Oh, yeah. Who could think of, in my, not in my era, SpongeBob SquarePants? And it was a cute little animated thing. It was really nice. But, you know, I figured, how does somebody do that? Well, they got a Saturday night, everybody had a cup of glass of wine, and 
hey man, you know, <laughs> when, when are we going to write something like, you know, what, what do you call it? You got a SpongeBob. How about Sponge? Yeah, SquarePants. Hey, that's great. Write it down. You know, and then when <laughs> the, the daylight brought clarity to something, somebody went and developed it into something. And, but again, Rick, I say it over and over again, I know I'm a broken record. If you spend the time in your life to write something or to be creative about it and you think it's original, you copyright it, and then when someone buys it, you try to retain a piece of it in some form and don't let them get away with ripping you off. And that is the, it's in one sentence, that's the summation of what the, the music business, not only the jingle business, but the music business and the baseball players union. And all of these things that represent talent, and it's an endless battle, it's labor and management. So, well, I couldn't you know. agree more. I mean, it's great advice. I'm just a regular songwriter. That's hard enough. But the, the jingle business, I just had a recent foray into the jingle business uh, with an ad I was trying to sell to Dunkin' Donuts. You were nice enough to, uh -huh. to critique it and, and take time out of your busy schedule to listen to it and give me advice. And I, I so appreciate that, Steve. But I'm learning how difficult it is to sell it. It's, it's not, yes. not an easy thing to know how to do. I, I don't know people in the industry. I'm kind of grasping at straws. And I'm finding people here and there that are stepping stones to the advertising department or the creative yep. director or, right. or whoever. And just trying to feel my way through, uh, crawl along the ledge any way I can. Yep. And, and you know, don't put your all your uh, eggs in one basket there. Write something else if you really want to be serious about it. But other than that, it's like, uh, you know, hey, I got a great idea for Pepsi-Cola. Good luck with your idea. You're never going to get it to somebody. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Although the Internet today has made it so that if you came up with a really neat thing and you maybe even shot some film today and you can shoot film with your iPhone, it's not like you have to hire a film company. And you could put something together like that and you want to, you know, it's going to take some money to do it and, and people who know how to edit, whatever, and you can put it out on the Internet in some form. And maybe somebody will like it. But, again, it's the big but. If you shot, I have a young friend, uh, a dear friend for my whole life, but he has a young grandson who's now just graduated from college, and he's made a little film. And I said, the first thing you do is get a copy of the, a physical copy of the film and protect it. Copyright. He directed the film, and he wrote three quarters of it, whatever, and file for a copyright. And then if somebody uses it 10 years from now, you can say, you know, you're using my my stuff, and I want to be paid for it. Yeah, I, co I copyright everything. Everything I do, yeah. I copyright. I, I've been doing that since I was 18 years old. It, it was drilled into my Good head by a guy named Brian Holland. You may remember the, the famous yeah, songwriter. Yeah, familiar, too. yep. And he, uh, he gave me a lot of advice when I was young, and that was one of those things is don't give away your songs, protect your songs, copyright your songs, copyright everything. Yep. And it yep. always stuck in my head, and, and I always did it, and uh, I'm thankful that I got that advice when I was so yeah. young, kind of just starting out. Whatever you are copywriting may not happen, may not become a, a hit, but at least when you go to sleep at night, you have the, the sense, you know what, I did the best with my creativity, and I did the best in the business part. I did everything I could to, could to protect my work, and that's, to me, that's what a creator is. And uh, you, you know, and today, the, you know, the electronics of the world are so greedy to take everything that you have, and you have to say, learn to say no. Progress begins with one word: no. Steve, are you retired, or do you not like using that term? No, I don't know when a songwriter never retires. 
I mean, you're, I once met Comden and Green. I don't know if you know who they are. They were the lyricists, uh, wonderful lyricists of many, many Broadway shows. And they gave a speech one night, and I used to go to these things all the time. And I asked the question. I said, uh, "Do you uh, are you are you retired?" They were both in their late eighties at that point. He says, "What are you talking about? Songwriters never retire. You're always coming up with something. There is always room for an original idea. If you can come up with an original idea, it doesn't make any difference how old you are." Yeah. But again, but 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 that's the big word of my life. But. If you come up with something, protect it and fight for the ownership on it. And if you want to lease license it out for ten dollars a year for whatever it is, it's yours. You have the obligation to your creativity to protect it. I think being a songwriter is a lifestyle as well as a, a vocation. You know, you, you yep. like you say, you, you you're always writing. There is no vacation for a songwriter. Do you remember the last commercial jingle that you you did for money? You wrote for money? once where uh, I brought a synthesizer. You know, I didn't play physically on myself. I hired musicians and some guy came in with a new uh, Korg M1, I think was the keyboard then. An electric, uh, you know, electric synthesizer. Yeah, I remember and the M1. My, my, my client looked around and he said, wow, I just bought that same thing for my 12-year-old. And I said, wait a minute. I mean, I said to myself, wait a minute. I can't compete with a, with a 12-year-old who comes up with the same sounds as I'm coming up with. And uh, that was one of the, the first major steps to say, I can't do this anymore. But I, to remember the last thing that I did, well, I don't. I've done a lot of pro bono work for the New York, Greater New York Hospital Association about uh, keeping people aware that uh, health care. I wrote something, uh, if Medicare and Medicaid get cut, then the uh, people, da 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 the, oh man, I don't remember the lyric, but it was... People are out on their butt. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't remember this, but, I, you know, I enjoy things like that. It had nothing to do with money. But at, at some point, you know what, Rick? They didn't want me anymore. You know? They didn't want me anymore. And I, have, I accepted it completely. I didn't... I can't use the word before. Am I bitter about anything? Never. Man, I've had the best run of anybody in the history of the business. And I'm here, and I'm knocking wood, and my health is reasonably okay. And I am, you know, I'm still writing. I'm working on a Broadway show. I'm trying to write another memoir. I'm, you know, I, but I do believe it, it has nothing to do when I wrote something or how old I am. An original idea never goes out of style. Never. A absolutely. Uh, do you still write jingles? No, never. There is, from my point of view, there is no jingle business. Well, do you ever they see wanna... a product on TV and you, just for yourself, just because you've done it for so long, kind no. of think of what you might do with that product? No, sometimes I turn around and look at my wife after something's on the air and she looks at me and I shrug. I say, what was that piece of garbage? What has that got to do with it? You know, I mean, but I promise you, man, I have, there is no jealousy and no bitterness because... You know, one time I always, you know, I talk about how clients I worked with. I think I wrote something for an international campaign for Dunlop, which was a big tire company. Maybe it still is. And the uh, the producer was sent by the advertising agency. She was about the age of my granddaughter. And I, you know, produced this three-minute piece of music. It was for a film that was going to be used overseas someplace, a little, you know, uh, short film. And uh, I realized, 
She doesn't want to work with her grandfather. She doesn't want to work with someone. She wants to work with a contemporary of hers. And when I got into the business, I was working with people who were my contemporaries. And we turned out great work. You know, I mentioned Kruger Pilsner beers. Uh, some of those spots, I hired the four lads to sing one of them. And uh, Marlene Verplank was another great singer who sang one of the other ones. But today, I wouldn't know one singer from another. You know, and, and to me, the stuff that comes out today is a, it's a product, forgive me, sir, of the younger generation, and they have no concept of what advertising is about. Advertising is supposed to sound different than the competitor. It's not supposed to sound like some rock and roll song that the competitors are using. Now, a lot of them are using famous songs that were big hits at one time or big classic yep. rock songs, and that's what's selling beer and cars and yeah, everything else. And to me, you know, you hear the song, I hear something Frank Sinatra saying, I listen to Frank, I don't know what the product was. You know, and this is my opinion, but but the, the difference between... Uh, when I started it, my God, it's what, 1967, so how many years ago is that? I mean, you do the math, it's a long time. I mean, do, doesn't the mere association with your product and Frank Sinatra help to sell your product? Yeah, if they use the right piece of material. But if they use a Frank Sinatra song, you know, I've got you under my skin. Hi, this is Noxima talking to you now, and we're ready to, you know, something like that. That, to me, is a waste of time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it works, but there's another side to this. When I was in business, when I started anyway, there were three television networks and maybe two two local stations in every city, and that was it. And you got something on the network, on you know, a 9 o'clock show on uh, I Love Lucy or something like that, you got a commercial, the whole world saw it, all, the, all of America saw it. Now there are more stations than you can count, more channels, and to, in order to make an impression... You've got to be so different and so original. And to be original, man, takes a lot of work. And people today just want to get the damn job done. Let's get out of here. I'll meet you for a drink at 5 o'clock. And it, the people don't put in, it sounds to me like they don't put in the legwork. And uh, that's, you know, you want to hear, and this is an old man's comment about it. But to me, that's what I see. There is no effort, no effort to try to be original. And it shows in the products. But there's so many products now. You know, I, I laugh. I saw a, uh, I think it was a Bud Light spot. Maybe it was on the Super Bowl. But now there is Bud Light seltzer. And Bud Light seltzer with lime. And one with lemon. And one with root I don't even know what they are. But you know what I mean? When I started, there was Budweiser. And there was Michelob. And there was no Michelob Light or no Budweiser Light. Nothing like that. And it was one thing. And now you have one grand company that's producing everything. It's got seltzer in it, it's got uh, linguini in it, or whatever, you know. <laughs> I love that linguini beer. Yeah, I like that linguini beer. But, you know, but I'm serious about it. When I think about stuff like that, I realize Anheuser-Busch, which was the great American beer. I mean, it's, it still is, I think, the largest, uh, Budweiser is the best-selling beer in the world. Maybe not anymore. But when I did it, it was... They were sold and they were bought out by a foreign company. There's a company, I think, in Belgium that owns Anheuser-Busch. And they don't care. They want to get it out there. We'll make a seltzer. We'll make a cream soda, whatever, you know. The world has evolved into something that is a money machine. And the money part of creativity, first comes the creativity. But they don't think that way. They want the money. Somebody wants to buy it, great. And songwriters are like that, too, in, in advertising. Yeah. And in the pop world, 
you know, you and I have talked a lot about advertising, but I have grown so far away from that. But in the pop music world or in the Broadway theater world, the composer automatically owns his publishing and when you write for a Broadway show. I know Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's a lovely guy and a phenomenal talent. And he didn't give away the publishing on Hamilton. He owns it. You know, this is a given. Because in the theater world, they, people respect creativity. And in the advertising world, they used to respect creativity because if you don't have a good idea, nobody's going to listen to it. Well, in the rock world right now, what's happening is guys like Bob Dylan and Neil Young just recently yep. are selling their entire catalogs because they figure Absolutely. they figure I'm not going to make enough money between now and when I kick off. I can sell it now and get the money in one lump sum. Yeah, enough. And I guarantee you the people who bought the Bob Dylan catalog, they'll make it back in four or five years, simply. Uh, I would think so. You mentioned your musical as well. Uh, a few months ago when you were on the show, you were talking about writing it. How's that coming along? Right. Good. I, I have the, I'm not kidding, man. The best time of my life when I'm working on it. And one of the great uh, fun tools is Pro Tools. Because I said, you know, over here I want to hear a string section and over here whatever it is and uh, instrumentation-wise and I can do it and I can produce it and I sing the demos myself and uh, a lot of them. And then I, at one point I went into a studio and I got some of the best legitimate Broadway singers to do some of the late the female songs. Broadway, as you know, at this moment due to COVID is closed. Yeah. And there are people looking for stuff, but I, you know, I'm, I'm in no rush. And the great thing about this process, and this is certainly not unique to me, but I, I so appreciate it, is the fun part of writing something is the process. It's not the end. And, it you know, the result at the end, and in my experience, and I have been very lucky that I wore a little businessman hat, too. I had a great time writing it and more, even more fun producing it in a studio with the best musicians. And then at the end, when they said, here, sign this contract, now I said, no, I don't do that. Here's my contract. What? Here, yeah, this is the contract I use. Well, we have to go back to talk to our lawyers. Okay, you call me tomorrow. And I always did that before I did the job. I mean, it's not like I walked in and wrote this great piece of music and then snuck it in. I told them beforehand. I had what I called my bid letter. Steve, what do you want to do this particular product? So I wrote him a letter. I do the demo and it's going to cost this. I do the uh, arrangement, it's going to cost that. But you don't have to pay me until you buy it. Just cover the cost. And then when you buy it, it costs this amount, and then I have oh, we own the music and we'll license it to you, and every year you have to pay this amount. And they said, what? Nobody does that. Here, sign our work for hire contract. I said, nope, sorry. And I lost, I'm not kidding, man. I mentioned McDonald's before. They called me for something, and they were going to pay me a grand amount of money. And uh, the people who were around me, and I told them about it, they thought I was crazy. I said, no, I have to own the copyright. That's it. And they said, McDonald's, let someone out other than, you know, Kurt Weill owned Mac the Knife. You can let some little uh, cocker jingle writer over there own the copyright. Doesn't work for them. I said, thank you very much. I never got the job. Never underestimate the power of the word no, as you would yeah. say. You know, I, Rick, I don't know you well, but, you know, we've spoken a couple of times. And I think you can hear my, uh, I don't know if enthusiasm is the right word, but to me, you don't just sit in your corner and write this beautiful piece of music and or you paint this picture of, I think her name was Mona, Mona Lisa Ginsburg, her name was, and somebody painted a picture. You know, what was his name? Uh, Mike. Uh, no, uh, Lenny. Lenny Da Vinci. He painted it, you know, <laughs> and, and he sold it for a one-time fee then. Today, painters work out deals. I'm not kidding. Paint with their... Uh, 
people who support them say, great, if you sell it five years from now, I get a little taste. Something, not nothing. And particularly in the music world, you got to hang on to that taste because it's, you know, this is what makes the music business go around. Let me say, Steve, it's so sad. We're always running out of time, it seems. As much oh, man, I, you talk to me forever, Rick. I, I love listening to you speak, Steve. Like I said, I always Thanks. learn something. Let me ask you something just to end the show with. Did you have any idea when you began how enduring your classic jingles would be over the years? No. No, absolutely no. You know, we talked about writing for an automobile. When I started in business, the automobiles changed campaigns every year because there was a new car, a new model every year. And we would come up with a campaign and we would do uh, commerce, television commercials, who was scoring the film. Then they would do radio and then they would do the Christmas season. You write, you know, Christmas, one of the best things I ever wrote is a Christmas uh, version of Here Comes the King for Budweiser with the Clydesdales trotting through the snow and they haven't used it in a couple of years. I didn't know that. Yep, and I had a wonderful orchestra and uh, no lyrics, the singers in the background went, do, 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 do. Ed McMahon was the voiceover at the very end. It was 60 seconds of pure music. And at the end, he said, uh, the people at Budweiser wish you a very happy holiday, something like that. And it was, you know, so but every campaign had a Christmas season and sometimes an Easter commercial. And uh, I did commercials once for Budweiser where they, the song was, when do you say Budweiser? When do you say boom, boom, Budweiser? And it, we did one for every baseball team, every major league team. Whenever the Cardinals are ready for baseball, what do you say? What, whenever the Yankees, and then we did one for every city. And that kind of stuff was great. Today, nobody does that. Do you, they do don't you, make campaigns like that. Do you labor over those melodies, or do they just come to you? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I know I told you once before, Sammy Kahn, the great lyricist, was once asked which comes first, the music or the lyrics, and he said, the check. <laughs> and I love that know, line. So, that's great, but I, you know, with me, I have a talent. It's a blessing from whatever you know, higher power you want to think of, and I am grateful for it, and I use it. Sometimes I really labor on stuff, and sometimes it just comes. Something to say, you know, I talked to you earlier, I don't know if it'll make the cut in this show, about finding, I'm not kidding, finding these old recordings, the old tapes and listening to them. And one of the first songs I wrote was I Walked With Cynthia. Right? I Walked With Cynthia and I somehow, I think back now, 60 years ago, 60 years ago, and I wrote this song about Cynthia. I have no idea who Cynthia was. <laughs> it was obviously something when I was 21 years old that I looked over and this lady's name was Cynthia and probably pushed pushed my buttons in the right way and I said, hey, you know, I walked with Cynthia. So you just don't remember. But uh, I don't remember, no. But I guarantee you, sir, in my basement, I have the copyright certificate. <laughs> I do not doubt it. Steve, I am grateful to you for spending this time on the show with us today. It's always an honor having you on. Well, you're fascinating. You. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Rick. You're fascinating to talk to, and I always learn something listening to you speak. Thank you. And you know why I enjoy talking to you? Because you are, as a creative person, you are inquisitive. You don't accept the status quo. Who likes the status quo? I know. The status quo's mother said, don't fool around with my son's stuff. It's wonderful. You know, but uh, 
Really, it's uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you because you are interested and you want to pass on what you have learned by talking to people to others. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to blab on like this because I want someone to hear it and say, progress begins with one word, no, I will not give away my work for nothing. And that to me is, is the lesson of everything. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for being here. I really love talking it's to you. It's a pleasure, I, Rick. I hope we do it again. I hope to do it again, and I hope, you know, I know I go on and on and on and on. You know, I raised three children, so I'm entitled to say things three times. <laughs> Absolutely you are. That's why you're here. That's why you're the guest. Well, thank you. I hope I'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe out there. You too. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Josie Grant. Please click subscribe. We love subscribers. We literally love them. Click away, people, and come back next week. Who knows who we're going to have here on the show? Some other great artist, no doubt, and we hope that you join us for that. We'll see you then.